You're listening to TechNado. Welcome and thanks for joining us for another episode of TechNado. I'm your host, Sophie Goodwin. And before we jump in, I want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of TechNado, ACI Learning, the folks behind IT Pro. If you're interested, you can use that code TECHNADO30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. Once again, I'm Sophie, and I'm not alone here, of course. If you've been here before, you know that. I've got Don Pizzette to my left, a legend. Don, how are you today? <laughs> a legend in what? <laughs> no, this well, go. Chat GPT knows who you are, so. Oh, all right. That, there you go. Uh, that's our new marker of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of if you've made it, if you're in <laughs> Chat GPT. Uh, no, I'm, I'm doing well. It's uh, it's. It's that time of year where companies are starting to release some new stuff, right? It's January. They want to get things out there. So we've got some cool things to talk about this week. Uh, but I will say that 2024 is not shaping up to be a good cybersecurity year. <laughs> so so uh, it'll be a fun show. Oh, boy. Well, that means more news for us to cover, I guess. So silver <laughs> silver lining there. Dan, what do you what do you think about that? Well, the year is young, Don. I mean, you know, we like to start off with a bang, but maybe it'll peter out after I'm sure. April I'm or sure. something. You know, there'll be no more cybersecurity incidents. It'll peter out around December. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting. You said like this is the time of year companies are starting to release more stuff. That that makes me wonder, is there a time of year for you that like the news cycle there's more stuff going on than any other time of year. Like, oh, it's always right around this time that all these new updates are coming out or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, the beginning of the year is usually busy. And then in the fall, like August through October, those Mm. are like Apple, Microsoft. They all make big pushes to release new OS versions in that time. They have new hardware that they release. The phone vendors, they always want to get their new phones and tablets out because they want them to be ready for Christmas time, right? And so you see a lot of technology on that that timing cycle. Any phone you're excited about? Like we don't talk about phones too much. No, I, so, I'm, I'm I just realized my phone is like six years old, and yeah. so it's like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll upgrade. It's it still works great. I love so, it. Couple of couple of thoughts on it. You know, with this podcast, we always try to think about our audience, and our audience is typically the people who have to suffer through this IT out there in the real yeah. world, right? So network admins, sysadmins, cybersecurity people. Uh, so I always want to keep it things that are irrelevant to them. Yeah. Phone news usually isn't. That's true. That's but true. the other thing is, like, what innovation has there been in phones in the last six years? They fold. Yeah, yeah, right. which, that's a, that's about it, right? And and they they make the cameras better each time. That's true. And if if your phone is your primary camera, then that's exciting. But this would be the world's most boring podcast if we just talked about that. Versus the old days. I mean, remember early days of Android, yeah. early days of iPhone. There was all Back sorts when of crazy Blackberry stuff. Was still in the mix. Like yeah. that was kind of cool stuff. There was there was neat stuff coming out all the time. Now it's they're so focused on in-app purchases. We'll have to start talking more about like um, more security news focused around mobile devices because there's a lot of of uh, things that happen like apps that you can get from legitimate like sources that could be malicious. So maybe we'll throw those in the mix yeah, from time to time. It, it does happen. Yep. We're two weeks into January and we've still got resolutions that we're coming up with. So, you know, we'll have to see how that unfolds it's the rest of this month. year. It's yeah. Resolution month. Yeah. And that's when everybody's at the gym and then they, they yeah. slowly peter out towards the end of the month. Well, speaking of news and updates and things coming out, we've got uh, some interesting news from Microsoft here for our first article. This comes to us from Ars Technica. Microsoft is adding a new key to PC keyboards for the first time since 1994. It is the, I believe, the co-pilot key. So that's interesting. This is just a key for their little virtual assistant that they've got. That is it. Uh, mm. You know, and, and and Sophie, you wouldn't remember this, but way back in, in 1995, like when Windows 95 came out, that was a huge deal. And uh, there were people waiting at midnight for the software to go on sale. And like it, it was a, a big change in computing. And 
keyboards up until that point, at least in the U.S., had pretty much standardized on IBM's model where there were 102 keys. And then Microsoft decided that Windows was popular enough, and there was this start button on the screen that would bring up your start menu that people would use so frequently that it warranted having its own button. And so they started rolling out keyboards, and we ended up with 103 key keyboards. And, and now most keyboards are 104 key, at least, again, in, in the U.S. It, it varies by country. Uh, but we haven't really seen much change in decades since then. Uh, and now Microsoft has decided that it's time that Copilot or AI in general, ChatGPT is so significant, such a revolutionary game changer uh, that they, you know, have no financial interest in whatsoever, <laughs> except for that, you know, multi-billion dollar investment they made in OpenAI, that they need to have a physical key on the keyboard. And so they are looking at replacing on a on a normal keyboard, it would most likely be your right control key. That the right control key will go away and be replaced by the copilot. Now, we we don't really know what that's going to look like. The the only demo they've shown was of a Surface tablet, which a Surface tablet doesn't have a right control key anyway. And so it, it's kind of in between the space bar and the arrow keys. They stick this copilot button in there for you to use. Um, if it's as useful as the Cortana button on the Cortana Cortana button on the taskbar. I suspect that other vendors won't pick up this button, and that was my initial <laughs> thought: was like other vendors aren't going to do this until I read the quote from their their product person saying the button is not required for third party OEMs at this point, which means it absolutely 100% will be required by OEMs <laughs> within a year or two. Why so do they do this? They insult us, Don. That's <laughs> they all do. There is they to do. It. So, you know, expect to see Dell and HP, Lenovo, those guys having to put a Cortana button on your, a Cortana. <laughs> a, 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 uh, what the hell is it called? Copilot. Copilot. There we go. Yeah. Copilot button. It's all the same Stupid thing. brain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You made so. me look the fool for the last time, brain. <laughs> so it's exciting. New button, right, yeah. Daniel? It's, oh, man. Uh, I, am, I am losing my mind. With, <laughs> I can't with excitement. I don't know how many times I, you know, cursed the Windows key when I accidentally hit it and go, nope, that's not what I wanted. But it's there. I mean, super. I call it super key now, right? Because it's you use a Windows-based keyboard so often in so many different places that it might not be Windows Linux user here, that we end up calling it a super key because it does whatever you want it to do. I was about to say, in, in the Linux world, they do refer to it as a super key, yeah. and, and Canonical is the one to really push that forward. Yeah. Outside of the Linux world, nobody calls it a it's super key. It's just a Windows key. It's just the Windows key. Because yeah. well, it has a Windows logo on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about your branding. Right? I, I always liked how if you bought, and I, I don't recommend this, but if you buy a System76 laptop, yeah. <laughs> they, they put the Ubuntu logo on that button. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. They, they change it a little bit. Yeah. Well, hey, it'd be nice to be have uh, I guess quick access to copilots and AI. Yeah. Now, I'm an Edge user and uh, a Microsoft Edge, not like uh, some kind of internet deviant. And uh, <laughs> 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 so, I guess you can well, be I mean, both. He is, could, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I use Microsoft Edge a lot, and they added the co-pilot button to the top right of it. So like that, that ah, co-pilot logo is right. on my screen all the time and you can't make ah. it go away. Like it's there. Uh, so do I need a keyboard shortcut for it? Um, I did read that they were introducing another shortcut. If you don't have the button, you can just hit windows key C. Okay. And I was like, windows key C that sounds familiar. And, uh, I, it's Cortana. 
it, it actually is tied to the uh, uh, the search functionality that's that's part of the start oh. menu already. So that's, I don't know if Copilot's going to be replacing that soon. So it, it right because it's it, it'll search for you. Yeah. Right. So it it I guess it makes kind of sense to dovetail that those two things together. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, we, we wasn't shall that see. kind of the thing? I, I remember you talking about this a while back because you were a Mac user for quite some time, and uh, how used to uh to having the 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 uh, what's the finder mm-hmm. in in uh mac os and it was command Control space C or command space c or whatever it was and that you liked having that feature in windows as well so yeah uh, so mm-hmm. it's rare that i click on an icon anymore yeah. on, on any os right so in if you're on a linux os and you're in gnome yeah you can just hit your super key and start typing something so if i want to launch a terminal I'll hit the super key type term it comes up in the search i press enter right in Windows, I can just press the start key and type T-E-R-M, and it finds it, and I press enter. And on a Mac, a little bit different because of Finder or right. Spotlight or whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, where you have to do the command space, and then you type T-E-R-M, and it comes up, and you press enter. like that. yeah. That's how I launch apps. So I rarely use icons that are on my screen. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I, Uncluttered, I, Don, is. I was going to say, <laughs> I personally can't say the same. Maybe that would improve my organization a little bit if I did things that way. Man, have you ever seen that video? It's... uh sales guy versus help desk guy or sales guy versus tech support or something like that. And the, the tech support guy gets a call from a salesman in his company. And it's, it's really funny because he, the, the tech guy opens his browser and his homepage is monster and you know, that kind of stuff. But when he logs in to the dude's uh, PC, like using go to PC or whatever is, is, is uh, remote software is the guy's desktop has like 200 icons on it easily. And they're in the shape of of something. Ah. <laughs> and he's like, whoa. <laughs> so he, he's like, you can't do this. People might see this. And he rearranges the icon and the guy freaks out. <laughs> he's like, how am I supposed to find anything? I knew exactly where everything was. <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> oh, uh, man. People get creative. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> well, looking at some of the comments for this, there were uh, there were people that were, you know, Kind of joking about it, like, well, this is actually good because that key can probably be remapped to something useful. So they're they're excited about the addition of this new key. Um, others have like genuine <laughs> concerns. Somebody said that I guess right control is a dedicated necessary button for Korean if you're typing in Korean. Really? So they're concerned about that change. Yeah. Uh, somebody else was just angry. You don't need a dedicated key for that. What the f, Microsoft? Stupidest idea I've seen from them in a long, long time. You know, I I did think about how it would impact me, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I was like, when do I use the right? Control key, right? It is not a frequently used key. And there's only one time that I use it. Uh, VirtualBox. Yep. Do either you use VirtualBox? Yep. I was going to say, I use it all the time with VirtualBox. If you want to go huh. full screen, it's the right control is considered the host key. Right. And so you would hit, you know, control F to go full screen, control S to go scale mode, whatever. Uh, that, that was the one scenario I had that would impact me. Interesting. Yeah. You would think... No, I was gonna say you think they'd make this optional, but I guess if it's if it's gonna <laughs> be on all, they work. it's think, it's not really an option. Think about that one comment where the guy said, "I'm really looking forward to this extra button. I could program it for something useful." <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, I don't need Copilot, yeah. but I can, <laughs> here I am buying an extra keyboard so that I have more keys. Yeah. I can program this button to be a control key. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody mentioned why not just double tap the Windows key? Like there were other solutions here, or yeah. like the Windows C shortcut, something like that. Mm. It's an interesting choice for sure. Um, I can't say that I use Cortana or any other virtual assistant like that terribly mm-hmm. often. So I guess I probably can't really speak on this. Maybe there's people out there that are like 
yes, finally a dedicated button for Copilot. Yeah. So <laughs> happy day for you. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and congratulations. But yeah, any any final thoughts on this decision or are we just kind of in agreement that this is a little odd? It's it's, it's just going to, yeah, it's a button. Yeah. It's going to be life. It's going to be there and you're either going to use it or you're not. That's about how it yeah. boils down to it. Like if you're marked out for AI in Windows operating systems, you're going to love it because you're going to be like, cool. Yeah. I can just hit my button. That's true. And I get that AI. Mm, tasty. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and we'll have to see how the implementation goes outside of a Surface tablet, right? Because like here on my, on my Asus laptop that I use for work, I've got a right control key. That's what would be replaced. On my Lenovo that I have at home, on the right side, instead of that control key, I have a, an FN, a function key. Mm. And I do use that function key because you've got the the row of function buttons across the top about like if you want, uh, right, yeah. what is it, like F7. If you want that to be brightness versus F7, you use that function key. So that button's going to have to move somewhere. Mm. And I, we do have a number of crazy buttons on our keyboard that aren't really necessary anymore that could probably stand to change. This might, this might encourage companies to start changing keyboard buttons, which will make us have to relearn things that will be unpleasant. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if this will spark a religious war on keyboards. Like, <laughs> Maybe. I'm a traditionist of a 103-key keyboard, you you crazy heretic, you. Did you ever meet anybody that was, like, passionate about the Dvorak layout? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some obvious benefits to learning Dvorak. Like, you can type wicked fast if you get good at it, but... I think, and, and this might be a hot take, but I think that if somebody really likes the Dvorak keyboard, that should like that should trigger red flag laws. That's, that, a, <laughs> that's a profiling thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that should be. <laughs> it's, it was like that scene in Talladega Nights and uh, the dude, uh, Sasha Bourne's character, puts um, some jazz on at their bar and... They're like, hey, he's playing that jazz. You got to get out of here. And he's like, why do you have it in the jukebox? He's like, for profiling purposes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think from that like two-minute conversation alone, I have several new things to Google. So I'll, <laughs> I'll add that to my list. Did you see someone in the comments from last week's told you what the toe reference was? Yeah, my grandma did too. She texted me a link. Your to grandma a clip. knew what it my was. My grandmother said, "Oh, here it is. You should watch that it." I was like, "Awesome!" I had totally forgotten about it by that point. So she sent me this clip about toes, and I was like, "Grandma, what is going on?" She had my back on that yeah, one. Yeah. She she Your was looking out for me. Awesome. She's you, like a she's like a dedicated Technado fan. She watches yeah. and comments every week. So thanks for that, Grandma. Yeah. Shout out to Grams. Shout out to Grams. <laughs> But we're curious to hear uh, what y'all think about this co-pilot button, if this is something you're excited about, if you find it a little interesting, or if you're just plain outraged, like some of the people in the comments. But moving on, we've got another article here from Tom's Hardware. Um, Asus, I'm sorry, Asus teases <laughs> Rog Nuck. Is that how you would say that? The ROG Nuck. That sounds like a Star Wars character. Ready to be unveiled on January 8th. So uh, this is uh, obviously, you know, as of this episode, it's it's been unveiled, I yep. guess. Yeah, so, it's been us out. So what was, the, uh, what was the outcome of that? All right. A couple of months ago, we talked about how Intel was ending their venerable NUC line, the, um, the what did NUC stand for? Novel unit of computing or something I like have that. No but idea. They're, they're small form factor computers, right? They were little tiny squares that had full-blown Intel processors in them. So they were, they were powerful computers in a very small form factor. And Intel was ending the line. And at the time, Asus stepped up. And said, hey, actually, Intel's going to end it. That's fine. We're going to take it over. And so if you love Intel NUCs, which I think they're great, then, hey, you can jump over here and, and we'll start manufacturing them now with Intel's blessing, right? So Intel was all on board with this and, and off they go. And 
we didn't really know how long it was going to take for Asus to start turning that out. Now, we knew that Asus was already manufacturing these on Intel's behalf. Intel doesn't have computer manufacturing facilities, so they were using Asus before. Well, Asus has announced their first official Asus NUC, which is now uh, going on the market. It's not You can't purchase it today. They've announced it. They've shown it. It's going to be available for purchase soon. It's different than what I thought. I, I thought they would play it safe. <laughs> I thought they would take this the traditional square nook that we we all know and love that easily fits behind a monitor. Um, but instead, they did a ROG nook. Now, if you're not familiar with ROG, that's Republic of Gaming, and it's Asus's mm. like high end gaming brand. It's a really cool handheld. Is it? Yeah, ROG Ally. Yeah, I've, I've heard a little bit. I, I've yeah. never seen one. It's it's cool. Yeah, mm. it's it's. I think it's like it might be one of the full Windows based handhelds that are out there okay. em emulate anything you want just about. And yeah, it's a pretty sweet machine. Well, what they did is they basically wanted to create the smallest computer possible that contained a full blown desktops graphics card in it. So you can purchase it with either a NVIDIA RTX 4070 or a, I think there was a 4080 model or was it just 4070? Um, which I mean, a 4070, that's a, that's a big card generates a lot of heat. It's got to have fans. Uh, and I'm not talking about the mobile version. Like you see these laptops. So like, here's a yeah. laptop with a 4090 in it, but it's this mobile one. That's not even as good as a 3080. It's, <laughs> it's a you know, marketing hand waving garbage. Uh, <laughs> and so it's a mobile 4090. <laughs> so this one, it's, uh, it's not exactly small because it's got that full size graphic card in it. So it's a, it's a decent size. I would say it's closer to the size of a laptop than like the Intel Nux used to be that is bigger it is bigger that is bigger um but it's small for a gaming pc and so if you're looking for a compact gaming pc this is the the first thing they've released under that brand and, and mm. is that how they're billing it is this is a gaming small form factor gaming pc no you know intel did this too yeah. where they except it wasn't nvidia cards they did their crappy intel arcs yeah uh, <laughs> i mean um, they're outstanding. Proprietary. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, where you had the regular square, square nook, but then you had the longer one that had a skull logo on it. Okay. So it looked kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> but I never thought it was worth the money. Uh, so it, it's not out of blue, like out of the, out of the blue. It's yeah. just not what I thought they would lead with. Yeah. So. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, Gaming PCs obviously get repurposed for things other than gaming because yeah. they have great graphics cards and you can do sure. a bunch of cool stuff with that. Like if you wanted to have a small yet probably usable, decent like password cracking rig or something to that effect, this would be kind of cool. Turn that into something that's, uh, more security minded. Yeah. Be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, on my computer at home, I have a, an, uh, an NVIDIA RTX 4080 or yeah, uh, yeah RTX 4080, well, whatever it is. Um, and I can run stable diffusion right from my own system, leveraging mm. my own GPU as opposed to like cloud resources. Yeah. So yeah, you can you can do some crazy stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see how one of the functions it lists is like you can chat, browse, stream, edit, record, and play without skipping a beat. And it seems like more and more now for people that do actually use these for the intended purpose of of gaming, um, how streaming it has become almost like synonymous with it. So many people that get into this stuff. They, it's like they become a Twitch streamer automatically, even if it's small, even if their channel and following is small. It's just like something that goes with it. If they're going to hop on a game, they, they're going on Twitch. It, it's never just, uh, I'm just hopping on a game for a little bit. Yeah. So that, I think that's interesting how now, I wonder how long it will be before that kind of stuff is just the norm. Like 
you can't buy a, a PC or a gaming system that doesn't have that ability because they just assume this is something that you want. I know that's that's more the gaming side of it, and you mentioned you can yeah. use this for other stuff, but um, for those that do game. Well, I think I think we know firsthand that the bar is really low for creating podcasts online. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, more and more people are doing it, and... Uh, Hopefully better than we are. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. It's not to knock the people that are doing it, because I, I certainly would not know how to figure that out. But it's just interesting that it's now, it's something so many, I mean, I've got little cousins that are doing it, you know? So it's yeah. interesting that that's now become kind of more commonplace. So curious to know what y'all's thoughts are. If you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, or even if you just want to send in a comment on socials, curious to know what you think about this, and if this is something you'll be picking up for yourself. But we'll go ahead and move on. We've got, we do have some Apple news. It is not about the... AR, VR, <laughs> spatial goggles. It's not that. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but it's not that. This comes to us from 9to5Mac. It says, Macs can now inform Apple if any liquids have been detected in the USB-C ports. So It's about time. I was going to say, <laughs> is, I, I'm not a Mac user, so this was not a feature already. Well, you know, I like to bathe and, uh, you know, MacBook it up <laughs> from time to time. So this yeah. is going to be really helpful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> phone if if it thinks there's something in the port it would it would tell me like there's right an issue with the charging port or something so i guess i thought maybe this i thought it was the same for me so apple's had a bit of a sordid history with moisture detection and uh where it all started was they the the original iphone like when the first one came out really didn't have any water resistance to it and so if it got wet it was broken and that's how most electronics are that's not a knock against apple most of the electronics you use are not water resistant in any way um but because people take phones with them everywhere and people get caught in the rain people fall in a puddle uh somebody pushes them into a pool like these things happen right and phones are expensive so we we don't want them to get damaged if they just get a little bit wet like you drop it in the toilet Listen, my cricket phone was not that expensive don well that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to spend all that much on a phone do we but people choose to uh so they started making the phones water resistant right the ip what is it ip87 i, I forget the numbers when they do a, a, a water resistant phone the ip freely whatever it is i had no uh, idea this was a thing i gotta make a, no no uh, well, the next time you buy a phone... Or, like I said, we don't talk a lot about phones here. Uh, that's, that's true. I'm, I'm breaking the rules. Um, but Apple, they so they rolled out this moisture detection thing, right? So yeah. if a phone got wet, the reason they did it was they wanted to void your warranty. So like if you said, oh, my phone stopped working and you brought it to an Apple Care, they would look at it and say, oh, you well, you got a wet, dude. That's on you. Mm -hmm. We make it water resistant, but that's outside of the warranty right yeah um so they they got sued and 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 they ended up settling out of court on this because there were people who lived in humid environments like like right here in florida like yeah. us oh, where it's humid here where your moisture sensor might trigger just because you live in florida yeah mm -hmm. and because it's 90 percent humidity in the all air. the time yeah. yeah on a good day yeah yep you walk from inside of a building to outside and you immediately become like damp yeah <laughs> yep that's, it's not well, my glass is just flash fog. That it's fun. is Florida. Yeah, welcome to Florida. So uh, so they they set a lot of court on it and, and said, okay, you know, these people who did warranty claims will go ahead and honor the warranty claims and, and so on. But that was all in the phone world, and we don't talk about phones a lot. Yeah. Right. Well, now it's jumping over to the desktop side now, or laptop side. MacBook Pros are not water resistant. So that that's just how it is. This moisture sensor is being introduced, and... Their PR team is putting the big spin on it, like, we want to help you. You don't want to plug a USB-C cable in. If there's moisture in that port, you want to wait. 
but they are absolutely not saying, oh, by the way, oh, this is totally going to void your warranty. And So if a, if the sensor pops and tells you to get moisture on it, and then you try to take it in for like a warranty work, it'll be like, nope, yeah, you got so, it wet. So they, they have not come out and said that. But I can almost guarantee you that like that is a, a track record that Apple has. This is what they've done in the past, and I can't see them going any other way because the, the devices are not water-resistant. Yeah. You know, so. if there's one thing we know about Apple, it's their integrity, right? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that they're, they're looking out for you, and they do not want you to spend more money than you have to on their products. Mm. Yeah. Well, it looks like this isn't even going to alert end users. It looks like it's similar to the feature on the iPhone, but it says the code suggests it's only used for analytics, so they might eventually implement an alert that will let you know, like like the one in iOS. It seems more likely that this is going to be used for technicians to determine whether a Mac is eligible for free repair. So it might there, not there we go. tell yeah. you, hey, there's something wrong. It'll just be, they'll look at it and, oh, sorry, you're, you're out of luck. <laughs> yeah. You got a web. Oh, not, not our fault. Yeah. I think this is another, th this will turn up, like, th this is another thing that, that contributes to the right to repair movement, ah. right? Remember mm -hmm. like the John Deere tractors where mm -hmm. when a part breaks, you have to get the part from John Deere. Otherwise the tractor won't start. And, and so they're being sued and this whole big thing. Apple's been trying to dodge that with their crazy repair kits they push out now. So if you have moisture in your port and you go to Apple and Apple says it's not under warranty, but you don't have a way to repair it yourself, that's where they break the law. And so, mm. you know, now they're, they're trying to skirt the line. I, I'll be curious to see where this goes. This is not consumer-friendly we'll behavior. just wait for the EU to mandate it. And, <laughs> and then we all benefit. They will have, yeah. yeah. And we'll all, like, that's what they did with USB-C, right? They were yeah. like, hey, none of this lightning crap. Like, you're e-wasting, you bastards. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And and that's it. I mean, there's there's really... The, the lightning cable... I've heard a number of arguments about why the lightning cable should exist. Yeah. But there there is there's no, no valid argument there. Yeah. No. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just it's just stupid. Just go. I mean, let's. We've got <laughs> USB C. Just do the USB C thing. Yeah. Did you ever see that video where it was? Uh, it was a guy pretending to be Steve Jobs, and he was all like afraid and terrified of Johnny Ive. Like Johnny Ive was forcing him to have no ports on the phone whatsoever. And no, uh, it, it's a, it's a spoof I can video. see that very, funny. very funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Add it to the list of things that I get to Google after we're done. Yeah, yeah. it's on like YouTube yeah. somewhere. Maybe I'll maybe I'll look it up during the during the break because we are going to take a short break. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, watching on YouTube, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave a comment or send us a little a little note on socials and let us know what you liked about these articles. But don't worry, we're not quite done yet. We'll be back in the second half of TechNATO for some security news. Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking with us through that break. If you are enjoying the show so far, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you choose, maybe consider subscribing so you never miss an episode of TechNATO in the future and check out some of the previous episodes as well. We're going to go ahead and jump into some security news. We have to kind of stop ourselves during the break sometimes from talking about it too much because that's what you're here for. So we'll go ahead and jump right in. This first one comes to us from the Hacker News. It says, malware using Google multi-login exploit to maintain access despite password reset. So one of the things that they tell you if you're 
if you they think your account's under attack or whatever, go ahead and reset your password. But it sounds like it doesn't matter in this case. Even after you reset your password, there's a chance that they could still hijack a session. Is that right? You know, I, I wish I could give you a clear and concise answer on this, but there is so much information floating around on this exploit right now that it it's hard to it's hard to get some clarity on what's going on. But the 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 basic story here is that inside of your web browser there is a it's it's in RAM, a table where it maintains your cookies that are active as you authenticate in various services, right? And Google services are no different. If you have multi-factor authentication and turned on and all that good stuff. After you jump through your MFA hoops and you've proven that you know uh, your password, you've got your code from your app, you can recognize a bus or a giraffe in a picture. Once you've leaped through all of that, a token is issued for your session, and that's what you authenticate with the whole rest of the time that you're logged in, right? That's a very, very standard practice that's used in applications all over the world. Well, what these security researchers found was there were multiple ways that they could get control of that token or at least get a copy of that token and begin to use it even if you were done with that session. And that, that's obviously a bad thing, right? We don't want people being able to bypass MFA and so on. Well, Google came out and said, you know, yes, this is a, a real thing. Attackers do have a mechanism they can use to try and, and access this table to get access to the token. But... It's actually not a big deal uh, because, well, the first thing they said was it's only if the session is active, so you just close your window and that's that. But the researchers found where you could actually, what, what was the term, Daniel, to uh, reanimate? To restore, I think you said. Like, restore, see, recover. They called it the restore feature. Yeah. Yep. So you could actually restore a token that had been removed and bring it back to life, right? This is like a reanimator. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Another movie for Sophia. <laughs> Add it to the list. And that one, I mean, that that's a big shocker right there. When you think that a token is out of commission and all of a sudden it comes back in, and they said, well, all right, you know, it, it's still not a big deal because all you have to do is just log out of your session. When you log out, then it goes away. And and the official Google quote, shoot, which I meant to have handy, <laughs> um, I, I showed this to you, Daniel, uh, where they they basically came out and said, ah, it's not, not a big deal. Yeah. Um, they said, oh, here it was. Um, they said, and this is a, the quote from the Google representative uh, that we, what was previously described as incorrect. They said, uh, stolen sessions can be invalidated by simply signing out of the affected browser or remotely revoked using the uh, revoked via the user's devices page. We will continue to monitor the situation and provide updates as needed. But Daniel, you you've heard differently on this, right? That it's not good enough for me to just log out of the browser session. So it is good enough to log out of the browser session. That can work, right? That does work. The problem comes into so like this multi-point session thing that uh, this is a very technical like hack this uh, so technical and and so sophisticated and secretive these info stealer malware organizations are basically trying to beat each other to the punch on this because the first person that came out with it i believe let's see here was um uh, revealed on the telegram channel uh, luma was luma so luma was the the first to to figure out how to do this and then they kind of like let some details slip and then other info stealers started reverse engineering this thing and they figured out their way to do it as well. So like uh, we had uh, Luma implemented this, Steel Sea, Medusa, Rise Pro, Whitesnake, <laughs> right? There so, was a ton. So very, very rare. Yeah, right? this is not something you're going to see at all. Well, obviously, this is an important thing, but it's kind of black boxed. <laughs> 
right? It's, there's still some like, what's going on underneath the hood over here? You'd have to reverse engineer their malware to see how this is actually working, which some people have actually done. There's a lot of technical information. There's this Gaia thing. I, I'm completely, I was like, okay, there's a lot happening under hood of this here attack. Very technical. But ultimately, you have profiles, right? Maybe I'm not just logged in to my browser here. Maybe I'm also logged into Google here. And maybe I'm logged into Google at my other computer. And I've got 10 different devices that are logged into Google. And they all have a profile. And they all have their own tokens. I can now, if I have access to uh, a certain browser, I can use the um, the encryption key that is stored in the Chrome browser to reanimate an old token or something or create my own. Th and this is where it's getting uh, kind of iffy on the technical issues, at least from my, I haven't had a lot of time to sure. really dive into this. So, so here, here's my question. Yeah. When you start to look at a, an attack like this, that's super duper complex, yeah. right? Normally I look at some of these and I, I say, you know what, this is so complex. This is the type of thing that a nation state funded organization might use against specific targets. The regular rank and file among us don't really have to worry about this. But in this scenario, like you were able to rattle off six or seven different malware, uh, uh, like providers. So that that's active in the real world that are able to leverage this. So, so now I'm torn, like, is this something we need to worry about or, or not? You, I, I would say absolutely. You need to worry about this. Like if all these high profile, uh, stealer, um, I don't know if they're necessarily ransomware, but they're definitely stealerware where the stealer malwares are collecting credentials, account numbers, sensitive information, doing key logging, all sorts of stuff. That's what, that's what Steeler does is it grabs all this personal information about you that they can then sell or utilize for other purposes, but typically probably sell and make money off of. And that they're basically racing each other to make sure that they have this available so they can, can maintain a competitive edge in the market. That's That tells me this is important. It's more important than Google seems to be making it out to be because if, if I can use it, you got to remember the average end user out there, grandma, right? <laughs> grandma, she don't know. She downloads stuff from the internet. She installs it. And now she's got stealer malware. Heck, she may have even downloaded it from like the Google Play Store. These things happen. So she installs some piece of software and now it's stealing all information. People gain access to her accounts and now they can pilfer her pockets directly or use that information to sell to other people so they can pilfer her pockets directly. Yeah. They don't know about this. So that's why it's important. We, we tend to think of this as being like hacks are only important if they go after government or medical or critical infrastructure. But the, the rank and file hacks that are happening out there are against average everyday citizens where you become a part of somebody's botnet or they are using it for identity theft or to steal your credit, to steal your money directly, and then use that for nefarious purposes, things like drugs and human trafficking, right? So that that is why this is important. I, I, I was actually at a family function uh, this weekend, and um, some of my wife's family, they're, they're, they live up north, and they, they came down, and they were like, I don't have anything anyone would care about. I'm like, yeah, you do. You have an identity. That is what the hackers want. That's why the number one stock and trade in hacking right now is stealing people's information, not necessarily their direct money. Mm -hmm. They steal that information yeah. and they sell that information. Google makes a ton of money off of what? Your information. Facebook makes yeah. a ton of money off of what? Your information. Information warfare is the name of the game nowadays. So that's what they want because then they can use that 
to fund their nefarious plans. Information warfare. You know, yeah. you should start a show <laughs> around that, and it could be. It, that, that's too long a title. Yeah, yeah, we'd have warfare, to shorten that shorten down, down, right? And <laughs> <laughs> Listen here, Don. <laughs> You're gonna think about where very important. Okay, this is not something we can joke around about. That's a, that's a good impression. Uh, now, Daniel, let, let me tell you what I did, or both of you, because I, I want an opinion here. Because he, here's how I mentally process this, and I don't know if it it makes sense or not. I, I've I've started. It's difficult sometimes to recognize which of these we need to react to and which ones we don't. Mm. Right. So this news actually broke last week, right after we filmed last week's podcast. So we, it didn't yeah. break in time for us to cover it. Uh, but even at the time, I said, you know what, I'm going to wait for more details. And CloudSeek, the researchers who, who found this, they put out a huge write-up. I've got it pulled up on my laptop yeah, right now. Well. Yeah, as uh, well. On it. And they go into a lot of detail. And at the time, so this probably would have been Saturday, mm -hmm. that I said, you know what? I think it's odd that there's no CVE here. Hmm. And and so you know, let me wait. They've they've shared it with Google. Google's repudiated. This is out in the public, so we're like beyond responsible disclosure at this point. Like it's it's out fully disclosed. It's being used by uh, malware packages, but there's no CVE. And I just checked while you were talking, Daniel, yeah. and uh, uh, there's still no CVE on this. Interesting. And in in my mind, and and this might be naivety, but I look at things and I'm like. If it's not good enough to get a CVE assigned to it, then maybe this is not actually something we need to worry about. And based off of the fact that it doesn't have a CVE, yeah, like is there's that a lot a, of zero days don't have CVEs, and you got to worry about those. Well, but, <laughs> but right, they will have a CVE within days. So CVE right? is just something that we do as a way to identify a specific threat. Just because something doesn't have a CVE doesn't mean it doesn't warrant one or whatever. Somebody might not have. You you have hmm. to you have to. Like re I say, register. What's the word? Like apply for a CVE. You say I have found this. If nobody's done that, it's not going to get one. Yeah. Right. Well, somebody would want to take credit for this malware stealers. They don't give a sh you know, a crap <laughs> about having a CVE in their cap. Yeah. All they care about is making that do re me. But I have to imagine CloudSeek does. Uh, maybe. Right. But maybe. Like, uh, maybe they don't know everything there is to know about this quite yet. Maybe. Yeah. Their their original announcement, their very first thing that they put out was yeah. way back on, I believe, December 29th, which was 12 or 13 days ago. Yeah. So almost two weeks ago. Seems like in that time, it it would have been one created or or prior to a public release like what we've got. Yeah. But, well, and and here's what's funny is you talk about it not having a CVE and therefore maybe it's not that important. You you can get a CVE because your you know, home router will, you know, open your, if you have a, like a thumb drive attached to it, open it to the internet. Mm. Right. Mm. So how many people are attaching thumb drives to their home router, but that's got a CVE. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. very low. So again, CVE isn't necessarily a litmus test of whether or not this is important. It's just a, Hey, here's something you can reference. And then you can add that to like scanners and things of that nature. All right. Right. So I, I may have developed a bad habit then because I've started to do this where like yeah. if I see a threat and it doesn't have a CVE attached, especially if it's been weeks since the announcement, to me, that's that's like, hey, other people in the security industry have looked at this and nobody felt that it warranted documenting. Yeah, that's not necessarily the case. And nah. not all CVEs are created equal as well. Right, it just because right, they have that rating, you know, it's a, a security. It's a that's CVSS. It's either that's different. A ten or a two, right? <laughs> yeah. Everything's a ten or a two. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, now there is no. I don't. Yeah. Did you look up a CVSS score for this? Because uh, that's different. I didn't because it doesn't have a CVE. That's right. how I normally gotcha. that's my, gotcha. my path to which, get to which, it. Which is probably you know pretty 
a good correlation of whether or not it has a CVE, whether or not it has a CVSS score. But that said, there are steps you can take. Now, Don, you mentioned just changing your password, or was it Sophia? One of you two mentioned, I think it was Sophia, mm-hmm. mentioned changing the password. If you're just logged into one browser, that should work. Here's what um, CloudSeek says. It says, then this is important stuff, right? This is especially crucial for users whose token and guy IDs might have been exfiltrated. Resetting your password effectively disrupts unauthorized access by invalidating the old tokens which info stealers rely on, thus providing a crucial barrier. Oh, that's great. But it says, make sure that you sign out of all browser profiles to invalidate current session tokens. So it's not just one, right. it's all of them. Cool thing is you can go into Google into your account settings, there's an area that says, sign me out of everything mm-hmm. that I'm signed into. And that's a one-stop shop to make that happen. So that's that's an easy win here. And that seems to be the prevailing win on helping. And maybe that's why Google isn't taking us that seriously. Oh, you can just go into Google and, and sign out of everything yeah. and then sign back in and you're fine. Okay, cool. Does grandma know to do that? My grandma does because right. she watches Technado. She watches Technado. <laughs> yeah. Shameless plug. <laughs> but if you know to do that, then that's cool. If you're only signed into one thing, then yeah, you just sign out, change your password, sign back or sign back in, change your password, do your whole thing, mm-hmm. and invalidate all that stuff, and then hopefully you're good. But there were some like, there's some things about this that seems like that might not be enough. But maybe there's enough cloud of secrecy and veil of fog of war kind of thing going on. And that's maybe why there's no CVE. Maybe there's no, like, mm. we're not sure yet. Because yeah. it seems like, again, I would base this off of if info stealers find this to be credible enough of a tactic to make sure that it must be in their software package, then I would I would take this seriously. Mm. That's my litmus test. Yeah. Well, the the danger part here to me is even if you follow the instructions, right? So if you think that a malicious actor has somehow managed to compromise your tokens like this, yeah. and you you do exactly what Google said, you log out of all of your sessions and you log back in, then you've now invalidated those tokens. Great. But you haven't fixed whatever method it was that that malicious actor was able to get at your tokens in the first place. That's right. So something else led to that, and you've got to deal with that too. So I think this is a symptom not a cause right so the yeah it's uh the 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 cause cause is going to be that initial compromise like what allowed them to be able to do this you downloaded something from an untrusted source you had an exploit because you didn't do a patch or an update and that allowed them to do a drive-by download or whatever the case is you to make sure that your systems are fully patched and updated that you're following proper operational security with all of your devices and don't get janky on the internet. Yeah. Don't click links. Don't download attachments. These are the kind of things that get us in trouble, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, let me tell you what I hope doesn't happen. Uh, so this this is all the result of functionality in OAuth 2 that allows you to stay logged in after resetting your password, mm-hmm. right? So if you're logged into five machines and you reset your password on one machine, it doesn't log you out of all five. It's just your password is new. Next time you have to log in, it's a new password, Right. right? They could say, okay, we'll turn that functionality off. So now whenever you change your password, you have to re-log in everywhere right then. Like your access is immediately cut off. As it is, you'll have to re-log in eventually anyway, but now they could be all at once. That could be really frustrating. You know, to me, that's like the lesser of the evils though. Okay, so I got to log back in. Oh my goodness, right? Yeah, is it frustrating? Big deal. What's more frustrating? 
having well, your crap stolen and your identity taken so, or logging back in. So this isn't a Google one. I'll, I'll use this actually yeah. happened to me with uh, Blizzard. Uh, oh, really? The, the game company, right? Yeah. Shout uh, out to Pirate Software. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, uh, Blizzard, they, they have a, an authenticator that you can run from your phone. Yeah. And there was one time where I logged into the desktop, this was years ago, uh, and reset my password, which logged me out of the app. Mm. But the app was my authenticator. And so when I tried to log back in, I couldn't get to my authenticator, and I ended up having to do a support ticket to reset the account. Like, they they created a, a scenario where you could effectively lock yourself out. Doesn't, doesn't Microsoft and, do the same thing with Teams? Uh they can. There, there is a very specific flow you can follow to lock yourself out. But yeah, that that's the risk, and that's why we have things like this multi-login functionality to prevent right. that exact scenario. Right. You have different. You don't have single source source of failure. Yep. Right. You cannot yeah. have a single source of failure. Yeah. I don't like it when companies have their own dedicated authenticator apps. Oh, I, what the heck, I, man? Come you know, on. I, I want to have my two-factor authentication held with a different company, like right. true separation, and you don't get that when it's. 2FA with Microsoft, my passwords with Microsoft, and my authenticators with Microsoft. Yep. It's not as good, in my opinion, as if it was another company. Agree to agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, then. I feel like I need to be taking notes over here on the, the conversations that happen here. We'll go ahead and jump into our next article. This is part of a, a fan favorite segment here on Technado called Who Got Pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. So this comes to us from TechCrunch. It says, law firm that handles data breaches was hit by data breach. <laughs> that is just a black fly in the Chardonnay, isn't and that's it? That's what we call ironic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's true irony, not like Alanis Morissette yeah. irony, right? Yeah. It's like real irony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one, um, all right. Well, let's just get the, the elephant in the room done, which is... It, Nobody likes attorneys. Uh, attorneys don't like attorneys. It's just it, it, you know it's the the business they do is essential but not well loved. True. <laughs> and, True. And in this case, the irony is this law firm specifically handles other companies that have dealt with data breaches and helping them negotiate the the convoluted paths of what they need to do when there's a breach. And and it is convoluted, right? Especially if you're a public traded company, you've got uh, you've got certain obligations to your customer. You've also got regulations and GRC through uh, things like the SEC and the FTA and all these other organizations. So how do you navigate all that stuff? Well, you bring in these attorneys who know it really well, and they help you walk through it. Well, that company had a breach. Now, to me, that that's not, I don't blame them for that. Like any, any company can have a breach. It's just the world we live in. It's how they handled it that's shocking because they straight up got sued for not notifying people whose data was affected. And they, you, what, four? four times, four <laughs> class action lawsuits. Jeez. Oh, and, and they're class actions. Yeah. So those four represent yeah. thousands of people. Yeah. You see, the problem is, Don, is the waft of human feces has, <laughs> has affected their brain. <laughs> They gotta start like get some HEPA filters or something yeah. in, in their building. They're yeah. in San Francisco. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll do it. So, um, you know, it's uh, now I'm, I'm distracted because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going off the rails on this one. 
Did you see the newest Space Ice video that dropped? Yes, I did. On Soldier? Yes, it was amazing. <laughs> and I, so you probably have not seen the movie Soldier. But I have oh, not. man, it was so funny. He gets dropped on this planet that's like the garbage planet where everybody else dumps their garbage. And he's like, and then he gets dropped into the middle of San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just as he remembered it. <laughs> so that, that's what immediately Dude, popped into my so head there. Funny. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, there are times where getting back on track where people might stand before a judge and say, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I didn't know the rules. I didn't know I was supposed to do X, Y, Z. And the judge will then say, Ignorance is no excuse. And, yeah. you know, don't uh, in jail. Don't <laughs> no, no the key. Uh, but in this case, it's pretty hard for these attorneys to say we didn't know because that's literally what their business is about. Uh, so they had to settle all of those court cases, and their quote is absolutely hilarious. Uh, and you know, it's attorneys, but they said, and this is the official quote from Oric. That's the the law firm. We are pleased to reach a settlement well within a year of the incident, which brings this matter to a close, and we'll continue our ongoing focus on protecting our systems and the information of our clients and our firm. Is that what they called it? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a real positive outcome right yeah. there. But, uh, uh, oh, and the other quote from them was, we regret the inconvenience and distraction that this malicious incident caused. We made it our priority to resolve it as quickly as possible for our clients, the individuals whose data was impacted, and our team. The problem was as quickly as possible was months and months and months. Right. Versus like with GDPR where you have 72 hours. Yeah. You better get it taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you, you, know, you need to notify people within yeah. 72 hours. I'm guessing they don't do business in the EU. I'm guessing <laughs> not. But, hey, you know, they, they're attorneys. They know the laws. Or in California. Because doesn't California have the California Consumer Privacy Act? Or uh, they do. They do. Yeah. And Isn't it similar to you know, GDPR? It is, yeah. yeah, in a lot of ways. And oh. now we have the SEC just passed that rule. Actually, it wouldn't apply to here because of the time frame. But yeah. uh, the SEC did the thing where you've got um, 96 hours, two days, or two days, four days, yeah. uh, to to notify if you're a publicly traded company in the U.S. So, yeah, there, there's new laws that are coming out to, mm -hmm. to deal with this. But, hey, you know, that, that didn't apply to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the advantage of being a lawyer, Don. You get to go, well, the law didn't say this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and then they go it, months without actually informing anybody it's of anything. It's their job, yeah. I And guess. then they happily say, look how good we did. Yeah. Yeah, I know we beat this dead horse all the time. But it, it once again, it's like there was never like a an apology or even really an acknowledgement. They said, we regret the inconvenience and distraction. I'm sure you do. That this caused. Yeah. But don't worry. Oh, we resolved it very quickly, and we reached a settlement well within a year, which Ooh, is an I mean, achievement. What were you and, thinking? Yeah. <laughs> so I've noticed this, and I, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, a change in times or whatever, but people don't like to say they're sorry. No. And I know I'm, I'm going to sound like a movie here, but uh, but I see it on Kickstarter campaigns, right? And Kickstarter, have you guys ever funded anything on Kickstarter? I've never funded mm -mm. anything, but I, I am yeah, I'm familiar, familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I've done a number of them, probably 20 yeah. different, different things on Kickstarter, and- Sometimes they fall behind and sometimes they fall years behind schedule. And I'll see these companies where they, they post an update and they're like, Hey, um, regret to inform you guys that we we've got to delay another six months, but we got this popped up in, in China or the boat went the wrong direction or, you know, whatever, all sorts <laughs> of different stuff. I've seen every excuse, but they don't say they're sorry. They don't, they don't apologize. Cause that would admit 
wrong. Right. Doing. You're accepting responsibility. And, then. and yeah. that's what I'm wondering. Like, is that like, is that admissible in court? Like, oh, you said you were sorry. That means guilt. So it's funny what does, I would almost guarantee it has to do with the legality of what they say. Because so uh, as a guitar player, right? Gibson, the guitar company is very litigious, mm-hmm. very litigious. Another guitar company called Paul Reed Smith or PRS, they made a uh, a guitar in the style of, like very similar in style of a traditional Gibson Les Paul. Gibson sued them, right? Okay. Sued them to the part where they were, they had to halt production of those guitars, which were fast, very popular. And they had to halt that production until the court case was resolved. And the thing that resolved the case was the CEO or a senior VP or somebody that was highly involved with the court case and in Gibson what somebody was asking them about, well, what do you think about these? You know, uh, do you think they're that close? He's like, well, obviously no one would, would, you know, Gibson Les Pauls are so iconic that you, no one would ever make the mistake of thinking that a Paul Reed Smith was the same. And they're like, bam, you just said it's not the same. And yeah. no, only an idiot would think that they were. And that's what closed the case. And Paul Reed Smith got to re- spin yeah. up their, yeah. their operations. And now they make a single cut what looks like a Les Paul style guitar. Yeah. Well, you know, the sad part about it though is like in some of these scenarios where if these companies would just say, look, we're sorry, we screwed up. For me in Don Pazette land, that would actually go a long way. Right. Because it, it, it restores my confidence in you. Yeah. That I understand people make mistakes. And I don't I don't need to be a part of a class action lawsuit. And you know, you you just you admit that this is something that you're responsible for. You take ownership of it. And uh, you know accountability. Yeah. And you go forward. But when you say things like this, like eh, we regret there was an inconvenience to us, uh, you know, like I, yeah, I, I get no sympathy out of that. Like yeah. that's yeah, that's that's just where we are, where we're at now. Then when, you start looking up their competitors. Yeah. <laughs> when you first started talking about how people don't like to say sorry anymore, there there is kind of like a movement of like people that say sorry for everything where it's like you know you bump into somebody, oh I'm so sorry, and there was like this whole you don't need to say sorry. It's not your fault. Don't you need to empower yourself? But it kind of went too far in the other direction where people were doing like <laughs> awful things and then being like, "Well, it's unfortunate that it made you feel that way." It's yeah. like you need to just you hit her. You need to just say yeah. I'm sorry. There was a comedian that did a bit about this years ago, right? And he was talking about how he thought it was funny, uh, funny how some of his family from like New York would insult you. And they thought they could get away with it. He was like, you know, I don't mean this. I don't mean no disrespect, but you're a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, hold on, what? <laughs> you just call me a douchebag? He's like, wow, I said no disrespect. It's like, yeah. That's not how this works. You can't say no offense and then say something offensive. Yes. Oh, well, but I said no offense. I said no offense. It cancels out. Yeah. Jeff Foxworthy did that with uh, did bless, bless Your bless bless her heart. heart. Yeah, yeah same thing. Your... As long as you say bless her heart at right. the end of it. Um, oh, but bless her heart. Now, yeah. my wife and I, we have this this thing that we do where, you, you know, Canadians. Yeah. Canadians are unusually polite. Correct. Mm. Uh, it just as a culture, people from Canada tend to have far more manners and are just way more polite than other countries, uh, including the U.S. Yeah. And so they they do uh, apologize and things for, for even little things that wouldn't necessarily be uh, Considered, even, even thought right. of. Yeah. Um, and because of accents, they don't say sorry, they say sorry, sorry right? <laughs> and so in the Pizzette household, we have multiple levels of sorry right so if you're if you're genuinely sorry for something you say i'm, I'm sorry that i did that I, yeah. I i you know i didn't consider what would happen whatever but if you say you're sorry that's like 
You're saying you're sorry, but it's just yeah, a, it's a formality. <laughs> yeah. So we have the Canadian sorry. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I probably use it once a week at least. Like, you know, if I drink the last of the coffee, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the American version of that is sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. like that. Yep. <laughs> Considerably less polite. You're yeah. right. It's just sorry, yeah. not sorry. Well, before we jump into the next segment, um, our director, Christian, sent me a message that said, uh, I guess the guy in the Who Got Pwned gif is based on Pirate Software's dad. Oh, yeah. Which I said it, that a couple of weeks ago. I must have just totally missed yeah. that. Oh, I did not I know, didn't that. know that. Yeah. Well, well there you go. Thank you a, yes, for the. That's actually like his apartment and everything. Like everything you see there is an actual rep- huh. representation. He worked with Trey Parker and Matt Stone to recreate him and everything that he does, oh. that he does, the way he sits, the wrist, everything about that is his father. So I, I, I remember us talking about that, yeah. but prior to today, I had no idea who Pirate Software was. I'd oh. never even heard of this guy. Yeah, that's, we, uh, we've, we've kind of mentioned him a couple of times in the last few weeks, just uh, not directly, I don't think. I probably just thought you were talking about stealing software. Yeah, no. <laughs> not a person named Pirate. Yeah, it, he's it, a streamer. So is it like a YouTube channel called Pirate Software? Or? Yeah, it's a YouTube. I think it's a Twitch stream uh, mm. as well. He he streams, you know, I, I know he streams talking about, because he's a game developer. Yeah, I wonder Sorry, if he has so an he, ROG nook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he probably does because he's got to develop for it to see if his game's going to work, right? Well, thank you, Christian, for enlightening at least Don and I. And clearly, <laughs> Daniel already knew, and he's got oh, all yeah. this knowledge, I'm and well so we'll, we'll we'll just we'll know better than to try to inform him next time. We'll go ahead and jump into our next segment. This is one of my personal favorites. Do <clears throat> oh! It's all right. It's a little. It's a little short. It's a little short. It was a yeah, little see, short. I you knew. I didn't have to tell you. Yeah. As soon as you let the ball go, you knew it wah, wasn't hitting wah. a strike. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to tell you. You didn't have to tell me. I'm. I'm learning. I'm yeah. learning. This one comes to us from SC Media. It says NPM registry prank leaves developers unable to unpublish packages. It sounds like what this was is he was just trying to be funny and troll a little bit, and it went a little too far, and then he regretted his decision. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, what happened here, and and this is symptomatic of a bigger problem with NPM, right? Mm. So uh, if you're not familiar with NPM, right, Node.js is a JavaScript framework that is wildly popular for writing web applications that run locally as well as in the cloud. Uh, Is it JavaScript or Java? It's JavaScript. Okay. Yep, yeah, Yeah, not 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 Java, Java, because that's a whole different beast. it's a completely different thing, yeah. So uh, uh, Node.js is like an engine that runs JavaScript as if it were an executable and and gets things going. Um, So NPM is the Node Package Manager. Think of like a Linux distro where you've got APT or YUM or whatever, DNF, where you're installing packages. That's what NPM lets you do. And so there is a public repository where they have all these Node packages. And the the barrier of entry, the bar to get a package put into the NPM repository is practically non-existent. It's <laughs> Having like, an account. <laughs> I mean, if you name it crypto coin miner exploit, you know, like maybe they'll catch it, <laughs> but probably not. Like the, the the bar of entry on this thing is so low. Who's if, got that kind of time, Don? <laughs> I know. If you trust NPM packages, you are just like taking your life in your own hands. The problem is... Damn near every developer does. <laughs> and they all just trust it like there's no no limit. And so every now and then we hear about thousands of packages being removed from the NPM repository because they have crypto miners in them. Or, or some developer, it was a few years ago, a developer decided they were angry and they wanted to protest. And so they intentionally damaged all of their packages. And everybody who depended on their packages, their apps now broke. 
Yep. And so like that was a very malicious thing and and NPM allows that. Well, the latest one is somebody thought, not somebody, it's actually a group of people. So a group of people, they thought, wouldn't it be funny as a little prank? Haha, let's make a package that depends on literally every other package in the entire repository. Now that's millions of packages. And so they couldn't just make one package that did it. They had to make over 3,000 sub-packages that then depended on everything else and then wrapped it all up into one NPM package that you could get that was called everything. And so the joke there was like, there's literally everything. Well, it was just a joke. It was a prank that they were pulling. And unfortunately, it had some unexpected consequences, which is in NPM, they have a policy where you can't delete a package if anything else depends on it. And why is that, Don? Well, because <laughs> if I make an application that depends on a package and that original vendor removes that package, my application now breaks. It does. Yeah. And it came from things like what you were talking about earlier where the guy was like, I'm going to protest. Yes. So I'm going to, he couldn't break, he couldn't uh, remove the package, right? Because they yep. had, there, there was somebody that had done that. That was their, I guess, protest or they were just being a uh, jerk. And they removed their packages, they unpublished them, and then everybody's things broke. So NPM says you can't do that. If anything depends yep. on it, then they can, you can't you can't unpublish. Yeah, that's hmm. that's basically the gist of it. And and where this got really sticky, they released this everything package, and it depended on everything. So now nobody could unpublish, and they didn't know that was going to happen, which is. Somewhat surprising because this is literally the second time this has happened. It's happened before. How many times have you written a <laughs> script though and thought, "Ah, oh, this is going to be awesome," and then you run it and it goes, "Oh, that's weird. Whoops." <laughs> yeah. Well, somehow in the brief time that they had released this, some other package began to depend on the everything package. There was like right. a looped dependency, and so once they realized the problem, they went to remove the everything package, and they couldn't remove it. It was it stuck. And so all of a sudden, NPM was like you, all the removal functionality was just dead. Yeah. And and so the the pranksters had to reach out to the people that control NPM and try and address this. And it's it's been quite the debacle. So what's crazy is it's like you can make a dependency using a wildcard like a star. And that's where the problem comes in, right? It's because if I just, you know, make a dependency that wildcard, now I can't unpublish, right? So I think the um, person that was uh, that uh, originally did this said that they were like saying, "Hey, if, if uh, here we go," uh, they said, "Okay, for, uh, we can do these things. A, allow folks to unpublish when packages depend on them use a star version, or B, not prevent permit star versions in published packages going forward, or as a last resort, C, remove our npm organization entirely and remove <laughs> all the packages that are blocking on publishing. This is what they they reached out to npm and said, "Do one of these three things, please. I don't care if it's C, yeah, but we got to do something. This is a problem." Yeah. And you know what's interesting here is in order to pull this prank off, like let's just assume it was the funny yeah. prank, they had to push 3,000 sub-packages to do this. And so people are starting to ask the question, like, why can someone publish 3,000 packages? Like, mm. shouldn't that set off a rate limit? Shouldn't that be looked at as spam? Because there has right. been a lot of spam in the NPM library over the years uh, or in the repository over the years. So there's some some challenges. I, I mentioned this is the second time this has happened. The last time that it happened, the uh, the the it, it wasn't really a prank. It was a malicious action. But uh, 
uh, they had 33,000 sub packages. That was the no one left behind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it was, it was everything. They said that was also reminiscent of a package called Hoarders that used to directly depend on every module on NPM, approximately 20,000. This was in 2012. Yeah. It was published by a software engineer, Josh Hallbrook, created in Node.js. Yep. Complete utility grab bag. Well, there we go. So this. This was not a surprise, never seen before, zero day. This is something that's been around for over 10 years, and it was just a joke, but it it did kind of go south. Now, I I have noticed something interesting, which is a lot of people are blaming NPM for this and and saying, like, how could they be so lax, and why don't they have rate limits and stuff? And and I agree with that. Like, NPM is not known for being secure and trustworthy. Like, you mm. you don't want to trust them. Right, they're open source repositories. It's like uh, PyPy, right? Yeah. Same kind yeah. of idea. Yeah, there's cool stuff in there, but you have to be careful. The onus of security is on you. They do what they can, yep. but at the end of the day, you install something on your system, that's on you, player. But at, at the end of the day... The pranksters caused this. They did cause this one. Like, and this is a denial of service. Normally, those packages that you need to be wary of are ones that are malware, right? You're installing something malicious to steal or gain access to or whatever. This was a denial of service attack, and that's obviously going to make its way to the top of the list of, hey, this is a problem real quick because people are going to get dosed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's there's responsibility to be had for this on both sides. Oh, right? yeah, of course. NPM should have had protection in for stuff like this, but the prankster shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. Yeah. It did bring to light a vulnerability, right? You know, and a, a malicious actor could have also done this and had in the past. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it did come to light, but there, there was malfeasance on both sides, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, this was obviously, it was a prank. It wasn't intended to be malicious. He was just goofing around, and it, it went a little further than he expected it to. But if this was causing a lot of problems, and like you said, a denial of service, I think is how you classified it, could he get into actual serious trouble for this? Or is this is this something where it's just like, okay, it's really annoying, but they, you know, he didn't yeah, intend to. So. He, could, he could be, like, maybe um, civilly charged now, if a company lost money. Because mm. they d- depended on this package, there's yeah. a possibility that I mean, you can sue a ham sandwich if you want to. Right? <laughs> so, the problem here is it's a it's a virtual crime, right? So it's a, a cyber crime, yeah. Uh, which the way they've got it is governed by NPM's terms of service. Right. So they, they absolutely violated the terms of service, right? Right. But terms of service doesn't really hold up well in court, right? And so Not most criminal court, right? most companies won't. Oh yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't even apply in criminal court. Right. So it would be a civil case, like yeah. you described. Uh, and they 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 certainly don't hold up in front of a jury. Juries never side with the terms of service. Right. So um, it's unlikely to go anywhere from a like punitive side that way. Yeah. You know, it does pose an interesting question though of if I had criminal intent, if I did wish to cause monetary, you know, um, impact against companies that I know use these softwares, could I be criminally charged as like you know computer fraud and abuse act, something like that? Yeah, uh, you, you could, right? right? So that, they that, could prove criminal intent. It's just been extremely rare I hear that you. that's happened. I hear you. you know, yeah. like remember when Kevin Mitnick was mm-hmm. originally arrested? So way back in the '90s, that before then nobody else had been arrested like that. And there were plenty yeah. of other people doing crimes exactly like what he was doing. He just kind of became the first. But then you didn't hear any about about anybody for years. There was that guy who wrote Saint. Um, I can't remember his name. He mm-hmm. got arrested too. Um, that was. Do you know the story behind how about Saint the, uh, the Saint. administrative tool? Mm-hmm. Maybe. So, uh, what's the story you're referring <laughs> to, Don? So he got arrested, got thrown in jail. Yeah. 
And this was before they knew, like, when somebody does a cybercrime and you throw them in jail, you need to take away their computers. Yeah. Right? So no access. But he had access to the, the prison computer. And so he wrote an application called Satan. I remember Satan, yes. And Satan was like an attack toolkit. Like you, if you wanted to take down a server, yeah. or a company, you just pointed this at it, and it had all... It's kind of like what Metasploit is now, so, well, right? Well, Saint was meant to be an administrative tool, and it was being used as an exploitative tool. So if I was a hacker and I had a copy of Saint, I could use that for remote yep. purposes and doing all sorts of administrative things maliciously. So then he wrote Satan, well, so which was, was meant to be... It was the other way around. So Satan came first. Oh, really? And he said, this was when his, his jail term was coming up. Okay. He said, I've written a pretty sweet tool. It he just can take it servers Saint. down. If one of you wants to give me a job... I'll turn it into a tool that protects your servers instead of one that attacks your servers. And Interesting. hard to get a job with a criminal record. Yeah. He got a job <laughs> and Satan became Saint. Gotcha. And so huh. it, it, same basic tooling. Uh, and that was the way and you can't do that stuff today. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, but back then it was a whole different world. So everything was new. I literally haven't even heard these words in this context since like 2002. Oh yeah. These are, <laughs> these are old tools. Yeah. yeah. And a whole, whole new world. But, um, but yeah, you know, so in this case, it, it was just a prank, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really know, but they're saying that. Uh, I doubt this will ever go to court or anything, especially yeah. since this is the second time it's happened to NPM. But be aware, if in your workplace environment you rely on NPM, understand that that is a threat vector. And not a threat vector because of, like, security exploits. It's a threat vector because of stupidity and lack of effort on the staff that maintains NPM. What is it, Godwin's Law? Right. Um, oh, no, that's that's the Nazi thing. There's another <laughs> law about like uh, never attribute to malice what can easily be attributed uh, to uh, ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ignorance or just stupidity. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, there we go. Obviously, none of us are legal experts. And I know in our last segment, we did spend some time poking fun at lawyers. But if you happen to be watching this and you have some legal knowledge, curious what uh, what your take is on that that conversation we just had. What do you think? And of course, if you're enjoying this episode, if you if you had a good time. If you like spending this time with us, maybe consider leaving a like and subscribing to the channel if you haven't already so you never miss an episode of TechNado in the future. We've also got uh, all of our old episodes, I say old, lovingly aged episodes here <laughs> on the channel as well. Uh, and so much more. It's not just TechNado on our YouTube channel. We've also got, uh, ACI Learning has live webinars, live on social events that happen. We've got one happening. It'll be the day this episode is released. And it's going to be myself and Don Pizzette. Don, are you excited? I am pumped up. Ready to go. I can tell by the deadpan expression <laughs> on your face. He's He's got a good poker face. It is going to be a lot of fun. This is something that we do every year and uh, always a lot of good questions that come in. So I'm looking forward to it. And I know Don is in his heart as well. So we hope that you join us and bring your questions. We had one last week as well, uh, All Things Cybersecurity with Daniel Lowry. We had John Hammond on the show and that was a lot of fun. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and check that out. And it we'll was have, very fun. It was. I said it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I know. I'm just and reiterating. Is, He's just clarifying. Supporting your claim <laughs> I thought you that were like, it was fun. Like, no, no, no. It wasn't a lot of fun. It was very fun. So I'm not fun. accusing you of anything. Jeez. <laughs> can't work with some people, right? <laughs> I've been traumatized. <laughs> We've got those uh, every, the first Thursday of every month this year. So, and hopefully... In, in the coming years. But if you did miss that one, feel free to go back and check it out and we'll have a new one every month. So don't want to miss those. And we've got another, yet another webinar happening later this month. We've got three, which is 
I think probably a record for us. We are webinar heavy. So if you are, uh, if you're more on the auditing side of things, it's a skeptical auditor webinar. Going to be talking about some 2024 risk trends for auditors with Lynn Trong and Hernan Murdoch. So that'll be in a couple of weeks. Feel free to check that out when that does uh, come out. And again, thank you to our sponsor, ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. If you're listening from the Technado website, you can look for that sponsored by button. And if you click on that, it'll take you to the IT Pro website. So if you do want to support the podcast, check out those courses. It's what we do in our day job. You can use the promo code Technado30 for a discount on an IT Pro membership. Drop a comment. Let us know what you thought about this week's news. That's going to do it for me, I think. I know I talked for quite a long time. So if there's anything you'd like to throw in, now's the time to do it. You have 10 seconds. 10 seconds of silence to meditate. You, you looked up the, uh, the, the law. Hanlon's Razor. Hanlon's Razor. That's, That's what it. it was called, Hanlon's Razor. Hanlon's Razor. What's Occam's Razor then? Occam's Razor is that the most likely uh, answer is the, uh, simplest. is the simplest one. Yep. Okay. The simplest answer is most, li- most likely answer. That's what it is. Oh, I learn so much every week on this show. <laughs> Half of it doesn't even have to do with technology. <laughs> Join us for next week's episode of Life Technado. Life lessons where we, from yeah. yeah, exactly. Philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Technado, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed today's show, consider subscribing so you'll never miss a new episode.